0: Well, good morning again. Good morning again. There we go. There we go. Uh, I want to just take a moment and again say thank you for being here today. Uh, we have just a couple of weeks left in our Life in the Spirit sermon series where we've been looking through the fruits of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians 5. And I, gotta, I need to do a couple of things before we actually start the sermon. Uh, as m- as most of you know, each week as we've been studying through these words, these characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, we've been reading uh, these words together. And so in just a moment, I'm going to have uh, some of our fifth graders come up and help lead us in uh, reciting Galatians 5:22 through 25 together. Uh, and so I'm going to have you stand, if you would, as we do that. And fifth graders, I'm going to have you all come up. I'm going to move this out of the way so that we can do that. I want you to see them, so I'm going to move this back as well, and you guys can look right there. The white words are going to be what's on the screen, and you're going to just say those together, okay? All right, everybody ready? Let's do this, church. The fruit of the Spirit. all going to have a seat. Okay, I'm going to have you stand for just another second because we have a special thing we need to do together. I'm going to ask uh, Miss Winnell Garrison if she would begin making her way up here to the front. And I'm going to have you stand because we're going to pray together and we're going to surround Winnell. Uh Maybe you saw in the bulletin that uh, today is Wynnell's last Sunday with us before she leaves to move to Corsicana to be closer to family. She's listed her house, and sold it within days in this crazy housing market that we're in. Um, I'm not going to tell you how old Miss Winnell is, because I would get in trouble for that, but she's been a part of this church family, uh, if I have my math right, since she was 43, and she's been a part of the church for 46 years. So I didn't tell you how how old she was, but if you can do the math, you can figure it out. Uh, she's been a part of this church longer than she hasn't been, and, and I want to just say something really quickly. And We have a gift that we're going to give her, and then we're going to pray. Um, I want to tell a story very quickly. Wynnell, if you, if, you, if you need to sit down, you can. Lana can move this, but uh, a couple of years ago, many of you will remember we were praying as a church for other churches, and we were doing this intentionally. And I was really nervous about what was the church going to think about us praying for other churches. And one of the very first Sundays we were doing this practice and sharing in this practice, which was ended up being a real blessing, and I think I could talk for a long time about how it changed our church. But um, Winnell f- found me and she said to me, I want you to know, Doug, that, and I hadn't been here all that long, but she said, I want you to know Last week when we prayed for whatever church it was that we prayed for, um, that it was a real blessing to me, and I loved being able to tell my friends at this church or that church that we had been praying for them and for God to bless them this you know last week and and so i i I was struck by that because here one of the senior members of our church family. Um, was encouraged by this practice that we were engaging in and and she was encouraged by having an opportunity to share that with people that she loved that were a part of other churches in our city and uh, and that was a real blessing to me and I thought well if Winnell likes it we're going to be okay Uh, so we're going to keep doing it and we did that for several years we prayed for churches um, and uh, may do that again at some point but kind of brought that to an end so I want to say personally Winnell you've been an encouragement to me thank you for encouraging many of us Um, I think that you are a part of what makes this church family special, Um, and today we're talking about gentleness, and I think it's appropriate that we're talking about that as we acknowledge uh, Winnell's last Sunday with us. You've shown us what gentleness looks like. You've modeled that for us, and we have a small gift that we're going to give to her, uh, and then we're going to pray over her as she uh, has her last Sunday with us, and so I encourage you to call her, to write her, I think her new address is in the bulletin, Um, find her today, and uh, many of you, uh, Winnell's known you your whole life, uh, and and she's a part of what makes this church uh, such a special place, and so thank you for participating in this, and I know her friends are going to surround her, and Lana and Duranda, y'all can do that as well, let's pray for our time in God's Word, and also a special prayer for Winnell, if you want to come up here and join them, uh, I encourage you to do that uh, as well. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the body of Christ and for uh, the ways that you use your people to encourage and to bless and to change lives. Um, I'm thankful for Winnell and for these 46 years that she's given to Kaufman Church of Christ and to be a part of this community of faith and to make a difference in Kaufman County. And we're thankful for the gift that she's been to so many of us, and uh, we're sad to see her go, but we pray your blessing upon her as she transitions to be closer to family in Corsicana, and we pray that you'll continue to watch over her life, and we're thankful for the ways that you've used that life to bless and encourage this body for many, many years. As we gather today around your word, and we think about the, the characteristic of the fruit of the spirit of gentleness, we pray that you will form in us gentle hearts, hearts that are humble, uh, that are meek, that are interested in being more like Christ than we are like the world that we live in. And we pray that you will open our ears uh, and our eyes so that we might hear and see all that you want us to hear and see from your word today. And we pray in the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ, our brother, and the church said, amen. Amen. Thank you guys so much. Y'all can have a seat. good to be a part of the family of God. Amen. <clears throat> we're going to be uh, in a variety of places together this morning in Scripture. Matthew 11 is going to be the first place we're going to be if you want to be finding your Bible and turning there. Um, well, It'll be a few minutes before we get there, but that'll be where we eventually start in Scripture. And as I mentioned, today uh, we come to the eighth fruit of the Spirit in Paul's list, uh, the fruit of gentleness. And I want to I start by kind of talking about this word because it's, it's a complicated word. The word gentleness, the Greek word that Paul uses is prautes, and it sometimes gets translated in English as meekness or humility or gentleness. Uh, So any of those times you see those words, a lot of times newer translations of the Bible like the NIV or the ESV, depending on what you read out of, they use the word gentleness. But a lot of older translations like the King James Version are almost always going to translate this word as meekness. And so it's an incredibly misunderstood word. I think it could be that it's the most misunderstood of all the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that we're talking about. Maybe... Maybe self-control that we'll talk about next week has it beat a little bit, but I think, I think it's incredibly misunderstood, and I think part of the reason that it's misunderstood is because it gets translated meekness or gentleness, and those are not words that you hear a lot about in our culture. At least if you hear about them in our culture, they're not always spoken of in a positive way, and because of that, many people, maybe you, hear the word gentleness or you hear the word meekness. And you and you think of it, people think of it as sort of synonymous with soft or weak. Uh, and, and so to describe someone as meek or gentle, maybe just as an example, of, you know, kind of to think about the way that it kind of lands with you, the word lands with you, to describe someone as meek or gentle isn't typically thought of as a compliment, right? And we tend to associate gentleness with a lack of courage or a lack of strength, and I think that... It's this misunderstanding of this word, this really important word, that I think is our our challenge today, as we think about how do we how do we allow the Spirit of God to form this fruit in us? Do we want to be gentle, or have we been more shaped by our culture than the Spirit to, than to, to think because we think of this maybe as a bad thing or a negative thing? How, how does the Spirit cultivate in our hearts something in us that is not honored in our world. And what I hope to do today is to help us kind of redefine this word, really reclaim this word for what it is, and, and embrace it as an incredibly important fruit of the Spirit that the Spirit wants to produce in our lives. And so so what is gentleness? Well, the, the word that I that I mentioned a minute ago, the Greek word, is actually a word that Greeks used, interestingly enough, to refer to wild horses that had been tamed. I want you to think about that for just a minute. It's the same word that you think of, you hear as gentleness, is the same word that Greeks would have used if there was a wild horse that had been domesticated. They would have referred to that horse as gentle. And this still is a practice, right, in our, in our world, a wild stallion out in the field, it has this uncontrolled strength. But when someone brings it back and trains it and ultimately tames it, that strength is brought under control. And, and that is really what gentleness is, and that's what I want to focus on today. Gentleness is strength under control, which is a really different way to think about that word that we use, gentleness. Gentleness. A tamed or gentle horse, think about this, has just as much strength as a wild horse. A tamed or gentle horse has just as much strength as a wild horse. The strength doesn't go away just because the horse has been tamed. It's simply now that the strength is under control, right? And this is really important to understand. When we're filled with the fruit of gentleness, we are not weak, we are not soft. We are not spineless. We're not unable to stand up for ourselves. When we're gentle, we're not a doormat for people to walk over. No, you have just as much strength as you did before, but it's been brought under the control of the Holy Spirit where it can be more useful, which is the key. I haven't been around a bunch of wild horses in my life, but what I know about them is that no one wants to be around them because you might die right? It isn't safe. But when that same horse that has, is, that has been wild has been tamed and that strength has been brought under control, the horse is useful all of a sudden. It's helpful. It's able to be productive in the world. It still has power, but now that power has been submitted to another. And that's the way I want us to think about Gentleness. Here's another way to think about it. Gentleness is knowing, knowing that you have an inner strength, but also knowing when to use that inner strength. To explain what I mean, I want to talk about school fights for just a minute. Sometimes in school fights happen between kids, right? And I know some of you have been on a playground, been on a playground, and, and been a part of a fight before. When, when our kids were younger, I wanted to teach them, especially the boys that maybe tended to be more interested in fighting, what they should do should an opportunity ever present itself to be in a fight with someone. And so fast forward a few years, and there was a boy at school that was messing with Drew, so I told Drew that if this kid kept messing with him, that I wanted him to fight back and to stand up for himself. So sure enough, the kid keeps messing with him. And the next thing I know, I'm getting a call from the principal at Nash Elementary that my son has been in a fight at school. And that may not seem all that, you know, strange, because many of you have probably told your kids the same thing. I want you to stand up for yourself. But what may be different is why I told Drew that. It might have actually been the reason you told your child to do that too, if you did, even if you didn't think about it this way. But what I wanted was for Drew to learn that he had the strength, and then I wanted him to learn how to properly use that strength, right? Because in order for strength to be under control, you have to know that you have it. And so the word that some of us may need to hear this morning is that you have a strength from God that is being produced in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've been hurt or wounded from some past relationship, or maybe, maybe you've been hurt or wounded from some past thing that happened in your life that you didn't feel like God responded to. And what I want you to hear this, me say this morning is that you have a strength that is at work in you from the power of the Holy Spirit. And that maybe those wounds that were created from that relationship or that experience are coming out of you in harshness and ugliness. And it might need, be, need to be that that is brought under control by the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can use the strength that you have to be helpful in the world. Once we know that we have strength, then we can learn to properly control that so that we can use it to be a benefit to others. Right? There, there's nothing wrong with being a strong person. The problem comes when our strength remains for our entire lives, wild and untamed, and we're simultaneously claiming to be followers of God. The problem comes when you go spewing anger and gossip around to others. We behave like a wild horse when we're too harsh with people, when we don't listen well, when we're rude, when we're dismissive of people, always trying to get our way, trying to manipulate things to get the outcome we want, when we're inconsiderate and short-tempered with people in our lives. Gentleness is knowing that you have an inner strength and knowing when to use it. It it is strength under the control of the Holy Spirit. And and we learn gentleness from Jesus, who is our guide. I want to look, the first place I want to look this morning is in Matthew chapter 11. This is what Jesus says about himself in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is is light. See, in this day, when Jesus spoke these words, anytime a rabbi would invite follow, student people to come become students of his, he would invite the student to become a follower of his by saying, take my yoke upon you. That was the expression that a rabbi would use. A rabbi's yoke, right? It's not a word we use to think of, but you know, if if a uh, if, uh, if someone is plowing a field, they'll attach a yoke to cattle to help, do, you know, to help plow the field. It's not a, a word we use a lot, but a, a rabbi's yoke was their, their expectations, their teaching. So if a student agreed to take the rabbi's yoke upon them, they were agreeing to submit their life to that particular rabbi. And that rabbi's teaching, that, way, that rabbi's way of interpreting the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. The problem was that by the time Jesus arrived on the earth, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees and the scribes, these people who had studied and who taught the law, they had added so much to the Old Testament law that it was unbearable. It was impossible for someone to actually follow it. So the law became a burden. The The law was not easy and light. The law was burdensome and heavy. People couldn't keep all the rules that the teachers of the law had created in addition to what was actually in Scripture. So instead of the law freeing people, which it was intended to do, and to enjoy their relationship with God, it had become this crushing weight that people couldn't stand up under. It was impossible to keep. It was anything but gentle. And so with that as the background, think about what Jesus is saying in Matthew 11. Jesus arrives into the world and he says, hey, take my yoke upon you. I know how all of these other teachers of the law have, have burdened you with their yoke, but if you take my yoke upon you, it is not going to be heavy. It's going to be easy. It's light. And it's not just a few of you, right? Certain teachers of the law, they just wanted the best of the best. They wanted the gifted and talented kids to be their students. But Jesus says everybody is invited to take my yoke upon them. And my yoke is not hard to bear. This yoke is not oppressive. This, this yoke is easy And light, because I, your rabbi, am gentle and humble in heart. And I I really believe, church, that most people most people will tell you, and most people think that gentleness, meekness, will never work. I really believe that that most people, when we really think, like in in church, we're like, okay, yeah, it's a good idea. We should all be more gentle. But when we actually go out into the world, most of us think it'll never work. Most people don't really believe that it will work. If we were actually this way, we say to ourselves, we'll get run over. I can hear some of you saying it in your head right now. You can't be that way in the world, Doug. You don't know. You can't just wait around for things to happen. You have to make them happen. If you want something, you have to go out and get it. Right? Nice guys finish last. Playing by the rules gets you nowhere. This is the world that we live in. And to those that might feel some sense of doubt about whether or not this actually is true this morning, I want to offer as exhibit A that it does Jesus. Because here we are still talking about him 2,000 years later. Why? Why are are we doing that? Lots of people have lived and died over the last 2,000 years, and we're not talking about them. Why are we still talking about this man, Jesus, after he's been gone generation after generation after generation. I think it's because one generation after another has chosen to hear those words in Matthew 11 and say, I will take his yoke upon me. And, I have, and then once they did that, they discovered that it actually was light. And it was not like the other yokes that, they, that we attempt to place ourselves under in the life that we live here on earth. Generation after one after another has taken this light and easy yoke upon themselves and found that Jesus was telling the truth and that they could trust him. And that, then they told their children and grandchildren and that's how faith continues to get passed on because you see the effects of the Spirit's work in a person's life and you go, oh, oh it must be that there's really something to this. Their life looks different. Why is it that they act that way, that they respond that way? Why is it that they thought that instead of that? Jesus' impact on the world is not in spite of his gentleness, it's because of his gentleness. And what we are after is a gentleness that comes from the many years in the light and easy yoke of Christ. Just a few chapters before Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, the beginning of Matthew's gospel Right as Jesus begins this most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus begins the Beatitudes by saying, Blessed are the meek or the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. I want you to think about the shocking statement that this is, that I think we might miss at first glance, given this new definition of strength under control. Gentleness isn't forcing your way. Gentleness isn't climbing to the top and stepping on anybody that gets in your way. Gentleness isn't angry or rude. Gentleness gentleness isn't harsh with people. Gentleness is knowing that you have a power, but using it appropriately. Jesus is saying in these words, blessed are the people who refuse to use the power that they have, and we all have power in one way or another, who refuse to use their power ruthlessly to take what they want because in the end, they believe that God will give them what they want. They will inherit the earth. And so again, gentleness is not the absence of power. Gentleness is understanding that your power comes from the Spirit. I also want to point out here that gentleness doesn't necessarily mean saying nothing. It could mean saying nothing. Sometimes in situations that we're in with people in our lives, gentleness could mean, I am going to choose to keep my mouth closed right now. And that might be the most gentle response that you could have. But it doesn't always mean saying nothing. I want to look at one example of that. I, I th- well, first of all, let me say one example I think of a time where it might mean saying nothing is, is Jesus' teaching about turning the other cheek, which might be the the most clear teaching about this practice of gentleness. How hard would it be to have strength under control to let someone strike you on one cheek and then turn to them the other also without punching them in the face, right? It's 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 so impossible to think about the, 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 you know, the, how it would be required of us to let that strength remain in us and not come out of us in that moment. But Jesus actually lives that out. <clears throat> if he, not only does he teach about it, he lives it out in his trial as he's spit upon and struck over and over and over again, and he never does anything in response. But in many cases, a gentle response can be a strong, firm, and clear response just without harshness or anger or rage, without condes, uh, con, con, being condescending. And a great example of this is found in the story of the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. And this is the last story that I want to look at today as we begin to, to close. Jesus says, Mark says this, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He says, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? A really important question, right? And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus says, you know the commandments, you shall not murder. And he's not listing all of them here, he's just sort of summarizing. You know the commandments, and some of them are, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And the man says, teacher, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. And then this, Jesus looked at him and loved him, and he says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. And I love that Mark tells us this, and I'll tell you why in a second. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around. I imagine he looked around after this man had walked away, and he said to his disciples, how hard. It is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. This story, I think, provides an incredible picture of what it looks like to to not say nothing, but to say something in an appropriate way. Jesus was gentle, even though he was honest and direct with the man. Jesus tells the man the truth, right? Money can be a massive barrier for humans because we trust it more than we trust God. That's a true statement. But then, and this is the hardest, maybe the most shocking part of this story. Jesus, th- this, will, this will kind of probably impact the way you typically think about how Jesus responds. Jesus lets this man walk away and make his own decision. Think about that. Jesus did not, what, what we want Jesus to do is go chasing after him and go, wait, 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 wait. I have another idea. Well, you don't have to sell everything and go to the poor, just sell a few things, Right? Don't go, I'll lower the bar and make it a little easier for you. Now, Mark tells us that Jesus loves him and he loves him enough that he tells him the truth and his love doesn't change anything about what he's already said. Jesus finds this perfect balance of grace and of truth. Jesus could have, what what Jesus could have done is to, to try to force him into something, to scare him, to manipulate him into a decision, but he does not do that. He isn't condescending. He isn't snarky. which If he would have been any of those things, it would have been him, Jesus, using his strength in the wrong way. Instead, Jesus models strength under control. I recently heard a story from the Paralympics that I thought was this beautiful picture of strength under control. You might have seen it. Uh, The Paralympics, of course, are the Olympic competition that takes place after the 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 Olympics for those who have physical disabilities of some kind. This story that I heard was about a man named David Brown. And David Brown lost his eyesight when he was 13 years old and for years David Brown lived with fear and with anxiety until he discovered running. And he loved to run and he worked hard at it. His his hard work would eventually lead him to be able to compete at the highest stage, the Paralympics. And he competed in his first Olympics in 2012 in London, and then he competed in 2016 again, and then just recently competed in the 2020, the delayed 2020 Olympics this past summer. The unique thing about David Brown and runners like him that are blind is that they train and they compete alongside a sighted guide. It's an individual sport, running a race, that turns into a team sport, the Paralympian in this scenario gets their feet set, they have their eyes covered, and they, they get their feet set in the starting box first, right, and their guide helps them get their feet, helps them get their hands, and then they get their feet and hands set after they've gotten their, their runner, runner's feet and hands set. And then, and you can kind of see it in this picture, they tether their hands together this, with this piece of fabric that's wrapped around their fingers, And it helps the two of them be in sync as they run down the track. It's done with words and it's done with feel as they pump their arms at the same exact time as they run down the track. In the Rio Olympic Games in 2016, David Brown and his partner, Jerome Anthony, who is shown here in this picture, ran 10.99 in the men's 100-meter dash to take home the gold. And that time of 10.99 is still five years later now. The world record, and has helped David become known as the world's fastest completely blind runner. And I share that story in closing for two reasons. One, I think it's an incredible picture of strength under control, because these guides that are leading the runner are fast enough to run on their own. But when they choose to be a guide, they have to bring that strength that they have that they're capable of under control because their focus now shifts off of them and onto the person that they're helping run down the track. They've often become a guide because they maybe missed uh, just maybe missed out, missed the cut just barely at a time trial. Maybe they had a, a lengthy injury that kept them away. Right, so they have to be fast, but they have to be under control enough that they can pump their arms and sync with their partner. And so I think it's an incredible picture of strength under control. But The second reason, and maybe the bigger reason that I share this story, is because I think this is a picture of us. We are the blind runner, and Jesus, the Spirit, is our guide. In 2016, it was the first year in the Paralympics that the the Olympic Committee awarded a medal to the guide, and I think rightfully so. Because all the success that the runner has doesn't happen without the guide, right? Jerome Avery, the guide in this picture. He, he. was not only David Brown's eyes, but he had to be so under control and run so fast that they, and stay in his lane and made sure David stayed in his lane, that they that they could accomplish their goal of winning a medal. And as I've thought about this idea of gentleness and studied about gentleness, I have been increasingly become increasingly convinced that society is not going to help any of us become more gentle. Society is going to actually encourage you to use your power that you have, everybody has, even if you don't feel like it. You all have a strength. You all have a power. Society is going to encourage you to use your power and strength for your own purposes, to do whatever it is that makes you feel great and best. And the invitation today is to a better way forward. A way of humility, a way of meekness, a way of gentleness, a way that uses strength to bless and not curse, a way that uses strength to build up and not tear down, a way that uses strength to actively participate in the healing of the world instead of hurting it. And and I think this is why our words matter. This is why our actions matter, because our words and our actions are two primary ways that gentleness gets expressed, right? Maybe we're just a little sarcastic, a little harsh, a little condescending with our words. Or maybe we are dismissive of people with our actions. And today my hope is and my prayer is that we will know, that you will know, that you have an inner strength that comes from God and that you will know that God wants to use it for good to be helpful and useful in the world around us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for Christ, and we're thankful that he is running down this track of life with us, hand in hand, in sync, and in step with us. And God, we pray that we will be people who are more willing to be submissive to, to you as our guide, that you'll bring sort of this wild nature that we might tend to have, this, this tendency to default into behavior that is anything but gentle. We pray that you'll bring that under the control of your spirit so that we, our lives, can be useful for your kingdom and for your purposes here on earth. We're thankful, Father, for your grace and for your mercy and for the way that you continue to walk with us. We're thankful that as we have agreed to take this yoke upon us that we have found that it is, in fact, not a heavy burden but it is a gift, a life-giving gift that continues to feed and fuel our hearts so that we might be who you call us to be in this world. We pray that you'll form in us this important characteristic of gentleness so that our our city, our county, our world looks like a different place. We pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we're going to sing one more song and then uh, be led in a shepherd's prayer uh, before we're done this morning. Let's do that together.